I'm going to be in Psalm chapter 22 this morning, and uh, we'll look at over the course of the few minutes that I'll be with you. We'll end up looking at the first 21 verses of this. Uh, we won't take the time to read all of that together, but we will look at a lot of those verses. Um, if you didn't know it already, you should know it by now. We're celebrating Memorial Day this weekend. Um, it's an effort, and I think a right and proper effort, um, to honor those that have died and given their lives in service for their country. And Nate is uh, one person that set up here as uh, freedom, the freedoms that we enjoy, make them a reality for us. And what's interesting to me is, I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily 100% true, but it's true for most of the people that served, they went with full knowledge of the potential cost that they were taking on. Some that have come back went with that knowledge. They could lose their lives and they knew that they were putting themselves on the line. And they took the fight to the enemy. We enjoy today the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, the freedom of worship, and a much better freedom because they tasted the pain and the suffering that was required for sacrifice. Now, for me, I can't preach about the soldiers. I love what they did. I've got to preach about the one who gave his life for, for everyone. I'm going to preach about Jesus this morning. So for me, that thought automatically turns my mind, puts my mind to the one who faces pain and suffering so that the whole world might know freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from freedom from suffering in the, in the long run. And I want to point you to Psalm 22, the second, 22nd Psalm, which some call the Psalm of the Cross. There is a, a human writer that wrote this down, we believe that. There was a human writer, a human psalmist. And I believe that he's probably reflecting as best as he can some of his own experiences. But I happen to believe that the Holy Spirit of God told the psalmist what to write to give us an image of something that even the psalmist couldn't understand himself. Because I can't help but hear my Savior, Jesus Christ, as these words are being read, as we read these words. In fact, the English preacher of the uh, 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, he actually thought that Jesus may have been quoting this psalm as he's on the cross. And I would understand where he gets that if you were to look at the first verse where he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You'll find those same words over on the cross as Jesus is speaking them. You go to the last verse of the passage of, of, the, of the psalm in verse 31, and the, the King James Version says at the very last that he has done this, but the thought that's underneath that reflects exactly what he says on the cross in John chapter 19, I believe it is, where he says, it is finished. So I could see where Brother Spurgeon might get that, so that's not, not too far afield. But I'm bringing this to your attention right now because I, I can't speak for everybody here, but I know the human condition because I, I, I'm, I'm human too. <laughs> I live this to human condition. And I imagine that some of us are feeling some physical pain, some physical suffering. You may have lost material possession this last year. Uh, this survey suggests that uh, more than half of Americans have been economically impacted over this last year. And I imagine that's probably some of you as well. 
some of you are because of your own fault or because of what others have done to you, you're experiencing some shame and some rejection. Some of you are feeling just flat out abandoned by God. Some of you might even be, even though you're sitting here in church with a bright, shiny face, you might even be questioning your faith. And I want you to hear the heart of Jesus for just a few minutes. I want you to know what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 4, 15, when he said, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He said, Jesus knows exactly, he knows exactly what you're going through. He quite literally, literally feels what you're feeling. He is close, involved in your situation. He has felt what you're feeling. He understands like nobody else can. He understands. He's actually experienced. I need you to understand that he's actually experienced it. He has been touched with it. He can help you. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows what you are dealing with. So I'm just going to take a minute to show you from this passage. Would y'all do that with me? If you don't have your Bible open, go ahead and find it. Psalm 22. We're going to spend some time there. I want to pray and ask the Lord to help me. Lord, please help me to convey the heart of Jesus to these men and women and these young folks that are here. I pray that they, you will, that they, you will help them to see that you are close to, intimately involved in what they're dealing with. So that they can come to you and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The first verse I've already read to you. It's literally word for word what Jesus said on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Jesus is at his moment of, I would say his moment of deepest need. He's at that moment, I can't imagine a more needy moment. You're on the cross, you have been tortured in a way physically that you can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that physical torture would be like. He's standing there, or rather hanging there, by his hands and by his feet. And the whole world has turned against him. They have thrown him under the bus. Even the Father is turning his back to him. He is there standing between, or hanging between heaven and earth with all of the sins of the world on his shoulder. And at that moment, the one with whom he said he was one, he said, the Father and I are one. He said, we're that close. We're, we're, we're the same. We are of each other. We are that close. And he says at that moment, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Father feels so far away from him. He feels like no one cares for him. He says in verse 2, I'll cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. He says, It's not because I'm being quiet. The only reason you feel so far away, I'm making myself known. Why don't you hear me? He feels like nobody understands. He feels like everyone has forsaken him. He knows, I want you to hear this, that he knows that feeling of abandonment. Some of you have in this room, maybe recently or in the times past, you've had some friends that you thought were your friends abandon you, turn their backs on you say some things about you that maybe not work that true. Or maybe they might have been true, but they should have discussed the math about them. You know? You know how that is sometimes. But nonetheless, you feel like they turned their back on you. It might have been family. It might have been friends. It might have been someone close to you. You, you may seem, when you're in that situation, it may seem like nobody cares. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. 
Jesus understands. He will hold you. He will comfort you. He will not abandon you. I also want you to pay attention to the fact that when Jesus is on the cross, this is not something that caught Jesus by mistake or by, 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 by surprise. He wasn't shocked by this. If you go to uh, go to First uh, Peter uh, chapter one, he says it says there that this was foreordained. This was this was something that was going to happen. This was not a surprise to Jesus. He knew that he was going to hang on the cross, and you may say, well. Then why was he so upset about it? Just because it was in the plan, it didn't mean that when he was abandoned, that he wasn't hurt. He had, he had, he knew, he knew in his heart of hearts, he knew that the Father would deliver him. In fact, you can look in verse three. He said, talking to the Father, "Thou art holy, that thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee." They trusted. Thou didst deliver them. He goes on to say, "Listen, I know I can trust you, Father. I know this was going to happen. I know how this thing ends up. This is Jesus. He knows everything. He's not shocked by this. He knows how it's going to turn out. But what do we see in verse one? My God, my God, why is that forsaken me? And I'm trying to teach you to see that sometimes God can feel a million miles away from you." Even when you know He's in control, you could say, if I were to say right now, God's in control, you could say as hardy as anybody. Amen, I know it. But sometimes when you're in the middle of your circumstances, it doesn't feel like it. That's what, that's what we're seeing from Jesus. Sometimes you know He'll never leave you, but you feel alone. Sometimes you know He cares and He will comfort you, but you just can't feel it in the moment. But I want you to know you can come to Jesus because He understands what you just said. What I just said, he feels that. He gets that. When your prayers feel like they're never getting answered. When you are sitting there and feel like there's no word from God. When you're sitting there and have no clarity on what is next. Jesus knows. He understands. He is feeling that alongside of with you. And you can turn to him. Jesus also has felt your shame and your rejection. You go to verse 6. He says, but I'm a worm. And no man. He's talking not that he is actually literally a worm, but he is saying that's how people are treating him and how people are viewing him. They're treating him as if he is nothing, as he is something to be thrown off, something to be cast away. But they're treating him as subhuman. If you go look at the, the crucifixion account, there's no two ways to look at that other than they're treating Jesus as if he is a subhuman. There's no way you can treat another human being the way that they treated him, ripping the, the hair out of his face, beating his back, spitting on him calling him names, mocking him. You can't do that to someone and assume that they're a human being. You're treating them as subhuman. And that's how he's being treated. He's being mocked mercilessly in verse 7. And they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lips. They shake the head saying, and he goes on to say, this is what they're saying about me. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. They're mocking his faith in the Father. They're making fun of what he says he even believes in. They're saying, you're useless, you're pointless, you're hopeless. Again, you'll see if you were to go to Matthew chapter 27, verses 42 to 43, you would see exactly, almost word for word, at least thought for law, thought, the same things the psalmist is saying here. I want you to understand that our Savior understands the shame of rejection that some of you have felt and they even continue to feel today. 
You might have been rejected because already suggested by people that you love. You might have not been believed by people that knew better. You told them something that was true, something that happened to you, and they acted as if maybe it's not the truth. And they knew they should know better. They should know better. You felt the shame of others being abusive, hurtful, wrong things to you. You even felt the exposure of your own sin. But in his moment of shame, in his moment of rejection, you know what Jesus did? Look at verse 9. The Father, speaking to the Father, I see that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I will become my mother's friend. I have cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God and my from my mother's belly. He looked to the Father. He recognized that the Father knows us. God knows you before you were even born. He formed you. He framed you. And the psalmist in chapter or, or Psalm one thirty nine that he knows your substance. As it wasn't even hid from God as you were being formed in your mother's womb. He knew all of that. He put it together. Did you know that you are actually invented by God? Your the concept of you is in God's mind. He made you. He created you. He didn't just put the raw materials together. He did that. But the raw materials were created by Him. So every aspect of who you are comes from God Himself. So He knew you. He knows everything about you from the moment that you were even a concept in somebody's mind to this moment now. He's known every part of your life. He knows everything there is to know about you. And here's the, here's the killer information. He loves you anyway. Did you know that there's nothing that's hidden from God? He does not surprise by the, the filth and the vileness that some of us have been involved in. He's not surprised by the hatred and the, and the mean-spiritedness that some of us have. But did you know that in spite of that, He still loves you? He loves you, and not just loves you a little bit. He loves you intensely. He loves you so much, it says in Romans chapter 5, that He commended or He showed, He showcased His love to us he presented that to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He's not sitting back saying, well, let me make sure they're going to be good people. Then I'll love them. No, he said, I know exactly what they are. And I'm going to love them anyway. But God accepts us exactly like we are. He does. Now, I can tell you right now, I don't necessarily accept you like you are. I'd like to be nicer than that, but I just don't. And if you're honest, you don't either. Except me or anybody else for that matter. But you know, aren't you glad that Jesus died? That no matter where you are, how bad things look. In fact, did you know that your weakness may make other people look away? It is actually your weakness, your lack of strength, your lack of ability. That actually creates the opening through which God actually works. That's why he says to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know what Paul's response is? When I am weak, then I am strong. That's when God gets to work. We sit there and we say, Jesus, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, everybody's turned against me, I, I don't even understand why this has happened to me. It's my fault, it's not my fault, we have all the reasons, but we can come to Him and we can know, Lord, 
can't do this, but I know that you can. He knows your shame, and He works in those what seems to be impossible and workable situations. That's where He works. Now, the one thing, if you know anything about the cross, you know it was a painful experience. Why, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as I'm sure you do here, we have two elements. We have the bread, and we have the juice, the wine. We have those two elements. And the, the bread represents his body, which is broken. That great juice represents his blood that was shed. And I've never been able to shed blood or break a bone without there being a quite a bit of pain. I'm simply telling you that to let you know that our Savior, His body was broken, His blood was shed, and it hurt Him very, very deep. You see it here in this passage. If you look at me in verse 11, He starts by saying, Listen, Father, be not far from me. My trouble is near. There's none to help. And he's saying, Listen, I'm overwhelmed by my trouble. I know it's right here at the gate. Talks about in verse 12, the bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of the shine have beset me round. Uh, those bulls of the shine happen to be uh, references to a, a, a cultic place where they would do uh, uh, worship and, and sacrifice to false idols and false gods, as well as the fact that these are just straight up bulls. I mean, big old, big old honking bulls that are coming around. And so there's this, this sense of these raging demonic bulls. That are around him. Could you imagine that? I can't even imagine that, but it scares me to think about it. These raging demonic bulls coming around him. He says in verse 13, he talks about that they've gaped to come. They, with their mouths, they just kind of come at me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Reminds me of what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 8, that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And this is what our Lord is faced with. He is literally just surrounded by enemies, completely surrounded by enemies. And then he goes into verse 14 to talk about how he feels. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. He's talking about how his heart's like water. I don't know if you've ever been, you all probably have, you've been particularly sick for a long period of time, fevers and things like that. And you just start feeling washed out. I, don't think, I think Jesus went a little further than that, but that gives you a sense of what we're talking about. That sort of washed out feeling. He just felt like he was weak as water. He said every bone is in pain, as if every bone in his body was out of joint. Every bone in his body is out of joint. He talks up there about his, that it's melting within him, that his melting in his bowels, the, the fear and the pain, all that mixed together, caused it as if his heart was just going to stop beating. It's like it just turned melting inside of him. Verse 15 talks about how his strength is dried up. He's got no strength left in his body. He talks about how his tongue cleaves to his jaw. He is thirsty, a debilitating, almost sickening thirst that he has. He simply has all of this physical ailment that's coming against him. And then in verse 16, to top it all off, he says there that the dogs compass me, the assembly of the wicked enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. They run nails through his hands and his feet on top of all of this. And I can't even imagine the pain involved in that. And then in verse 17, they tell all my bones, and they look and stare upon me. The picture that comes to my mind is if you've ever seen those uh, folks that they uh, 
liberated from the concentration camps in Germany and Eastern Europe and those places. And those people were walked out of those camps after the horrors that they had to face. Sometimes months and years when we were in those places. They were grateful to be alive, but man, they looked like they were as near death as they ever was. That's what our Savior was feeling like. That's what He looked like emaciated, absolutely, completely, all of us, that they were standing in the ache and the pain that's associated with that. And then there's where they say, uh, it's for salt in the wound, verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots in my vesture. What little bit he did have, they took it from him. I, I, I read that and take the time to go through that verse I've heard for you because I want you to understand that Jesus has felt every aspect of any kind of pain that anybody in this room could ever imagine feeling, not to mention what you actually have felt. He felt it and then some. He felt the emotional pain that some of you feel when you're overwhelmed by your circumstances. The, the, the enemies that come after you when you feel like there's one more. You, you ever felt that feeling like there's one more shoe to fall and like you don't know where it's going to come from, who, which, which corner of your life it's going to come from? And Jesus has felt that kind of pain. He felt the physical pain. Some of you have dealt with the pure agony of physical pain, whether it's from sickness or even terminal illness or addiction or other things like that that, that have that, that wrap your body with pain. Jesus knows that kind of pain. He knows the social and emotional pain. When you lose a home or a job or money or your innocence, He knows those things. He felt those things. And His answer is to look to the Father. Look at verse 19. Be, down, be not that far from me, O Lord, O my strength. He knows that He's going to get strength for His immediate need from the Father. He knows He's going to get deliverance. Verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword. He's going to get deliverance from His immediate threat. He says in verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth. He knows He's ultimately going to get His salvation from death from the Father. All that to try to get you to hear me say this very clearly. If you come to Jesus with your troubles today, He's not going to be surprised by what you're coming to Him with. He's not going to be shocked by it. In fact, He's going to know exactly what you're talking about. He's sitting right now, I can imagine, hurting for you. He's feeling it with you. If some of y'all are hearing me say these things, and you say, well, he doesn't know about this, I'm going to say, yeah, he does. He said, well, that's another thing. Yeah, nobody knows about that. I didn't tell anybody. Well, he knows exactly what you're doing here. He understands that. I'm not going to take the time to look at it, but if you want to study on your own, verses 22 to 31, the last part of it, is where he comes in and he recounts his victory on he's coming over of these enemies. And he wins. And I need you to know that Jesus not only knows your pain, he knows what you're dealing with, he has defeated it. He has gotten victory over these things. Paul writes in Philippians, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has accomplished that victory, which is why at the end that he has done this. It is finished. It's 
penalty of your sin has been paid on the cross. The pain of a sinful world has been taken care of. The suffering that he endured brings an end to our suffering. And we say, well, Matthew, I'm, I'm dealing with this suffering right now. I understand we're going to suffer for a little while longer on this earth in this earthly plane. But there is a time that I believe is going to come. It will come sooner. And even so quickly, come Lord Jesus, where he says that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor cry, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. That is only possible because Jesus knows these things. He knows they upset you. He knows they hurt you. And He is taking care of it. He has paid for it. He has made Himself available so that you can come to Him. He understands your problem. And He will help your problem. I want to close by reminding you of the passage in Hebrews. I told you the one part of the passage in uh, chapter 4, where it says that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but with an all points simply like this. We are simply to underscore the fact that Jesus knows exactly what to do in this. But so here's what he says next. The next verse, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Because Jesus does that, because He knows that, you can boldly come to Jesus. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Don't answer me. Answer the Lord. Answer yourself. But are you in a time of need this morning? Do you find yourself in a time of need? If you do, you're like me. You need grace. You need a little mercy, don't you? Lord, give me some mercy. If you're like me, you need something good to happen. I need, I need a break from this bad stuff. I need something good to happen. You need some grace. And he says here, because of what Jesus has done, because he felt it all, you can have boldness to enter into his presence. He's made it possible. He has made it available. You can go in and say, Jesus, I need a break. Give me some mercy. 